Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's talk more about the truth in fiction. I'm your prepared host, J.S. Garrity. And I'm the host who's winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week I choose and prepare a topic ahead of time because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic about a half an hour before because I'm an improviser and good on my feet. And it takes me a while to check my email. (laughs) All right, let's get into part two. If you didn't listen to part one, I highly recommend listening to it first because there's a lot of like introductory things that we talk about to introduce this topic. Um, But today we're going to be talking about internal struggles and It came up a lot in part one, too, because it's kind of impossible not to talk about that when you're talking about external struggles. Yeah. Um, But we'll we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. Yeah. With part two. I think I think if we call like an external struggle, like, you know, the fight against. The fight against something else, you know, the fight against the Witch King, the fight against Sauron, the fight against fascism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in any of its brands or whatever, it makes a lot more sense to to delineate that. And then the internal yeah. struggles are, you know, how do I become a better person maybe? Or mm-hmm. how do I how do I do something else? Yeah. Self versus self. <laughs> yeah. Man versus man, one of the greatest topics. Mm-hmm. Well, man versus self, I guess specifically, but yeah. 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 I want to talk about some of the books that have influenced us personally mm-hmm. because i think that at least for me the most influential books are the ones that i connect to on the internal struggle level mm-hmm. more so than the external struggles and the plot yeah so one that has stuck with me is the riddle master of head trilogy Um, and it's been a couple years since I read it, but the thing that I really came away with and connected to so deeply was the idea of this, um, the main character. I know you haven't read it, so I'll try and, um, not be too vague, (laughs) but the main, the main character is someone who he is a chosen one. Um, trope and he doesn't know that he's the chosen one to like the very end but his whole journey in trying to do the right thing and step into a role of you know kind of finding out that he has the ability to to help fix the this these things that are wrong and that journey is what helps him become capable of of being the chosen one essentially so Mm -hmm. he doesn't he doesn't start out the story inherently like you know already 
that person that can take on that role. The the trilogy takes him through the experiences that are necessary for him to become that person. Yeah. Um, okay. And I that was um something that stuck with me because I feel like we grow up with this idea of you're special. Mm-hmm. I think particularly those of us who grew up religious mm-hmm. have this idea of you're special and it can be really hard when you face experiences where you learn that you're not special and it it is enough to um, make people give up on their dreams on, on their goals and, and make them lose confidence in themselves. But if I would, you, I, yeah, I would say that, I would say that it's not that we're not special. It's that we're not special in every way. I mean, well, know. yeah. So when I say not special, I mean, not special to everyone else in the world. Gotcha. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, you know, it's, it's not like you're born to be a great author, for example, mm-hmm. like you, you can become that, but you're not chosen at birth to become a great author and there's a lot of things that you know we were taught about like with faith or god's plan for us and and while i do believe to some extent in some of those things i also think that some of those messages can be damaging when when we step into the real world thinking i'm special i'm meant for something great and then find the world just smacking us to the ground over and over again and and even worse, the people that are supposed to believe the same thing you are, mm-hmm. that you believe, are the ones doing it. Yeah. 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 Totally agree. Yeah. It's so it's so frustrating. Yeah. And so what I appreciated about this internal struggle that this character goes through is that he ultimately has the power himself to become what he needs to be. And, and that it takes those experiences of being knocked down and mm-hmm. feeling like all else fails. And there is just a huge moment in the trilogy where it's really feels like all is lost. Like mm-hmm. he is in the dire of cir- direst of circumstances and every good story has a moment like that. Right. Um, but this one, it was essential for him to make the necessary transformation and the idea that all those times that were knocked down can actually be used to become the very thing that you were losing faith in becoming mm-hmm. like again, using an author as authors as, as an example, because I am one <laughs> um, just, you know, like the rejections or um, the being told that your your writing isn't good enough or um getting negative critiques all of those things are really hard to swallow if you come into it thinking i am special and naturally gifted and i'm going to become an overnight success and and but those experiences are what help you become mm-hmm. a great author mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So there's a there's a neural reason f- for some of this. Um, Andrew Huberman once again um, talks a little bit about this. So while it's important to visualize success, it's also important to visualize the way things can go wrong because mm-hmm. you're mentally prepared for them. You mentally yeah. kind of prepare for the harshness and, and how difficult it can be. You think about all the different ways you can fail and then you avoid those ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually, turns out, that's every bit as important as visualizing the success as well. Mm-hmm. And I think also experiencing, you know, and visualizing failure and, and learning through visualizing that or reading about it and experiencing it through reading or watching or however you're engaging with stories helps you to realize that you will fail Mm -hmm. and it will still be okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's one of the most important things I think stories can teach us is, you know, you can get knocked down over and over and over and over again, as long as you get up one more time than you were knocked down. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. I, I think a lot of the times we are now hardwired to go the easy route. And mm-hmm. that is often one of the worst possible things we can do to ourselves because mm-hmm. the easy route usually means not doing those things we've been dreaming about our entire lives. Yeah. It means, you know, not making the world changing discoveries or um or events being a part of those world changing events that you're meant to be mm-hmm. or you should be a part of. And so, yeah, it's really damaging not only to one person, but to society as a whole. I yeah. think we have a I think we have a real honest obligation to 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 live from our places of courage to kind of to come through that. Um, both to ourselves, to our families, and and to other human beings. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and there's something to be said for having, you know, backup plans and mm-hmm. um, things to fall back on and some security because there is a need for security and and that's good for our mental health, um, but not to the sacrifice of the things that drive you as a human. Yeah. Yes. So in response to the, uh, the title of, of this episode, which I believe is can stories change lives? Yes. Yes, they can. Quick episode this week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, (laughs) That's it. That's all you need to know. (laughs) (laughs) What are some stories that have changed your life? Ludlow. There are so many. Um, I mean, so I grew up reading everything I could get my hands on. I was reading by like four or something. And so by the time I was six or seven, I was, I had my book, I'd already read the Hobbit once and I was reading the three investigators and all this other stuff. So I would say, I think everything has changed me somehow a little bit. That's kind Mm -hmm. of a washout answer or kind of a wuss out answer. So I am going to say the three investigators definitely helped shape me. Um, mm-hmm. for anybody who doesn't know what they are, it's kind of the Hardy boys or Nancy drew, but it's three friends and Alfred Hitchcock is a character in the earlier stories. Um, and I love them so much. Um, gosh, the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, as an exploration of faith, they've sat with me for, you know, decades and decades and decades and they're mm-hmm. becoming more important to me now. Uh, the Hobbit, you know, the fact that anybody can 
can do great things or be a part of great things. The Lord of the Rings, of course. More recently, I'm going to say the Graveyard Book is is one of the big ones by Neil Gaiman. It I need has, to read that one still. Yeah, it's literally on my shelf right now. Yeah. I'm looking at it. <laughs> it's it's. Well, I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't. I definitely don't want to spoil anything for you. It it mm-hmm. has a message about growing up. And yeah, and it's so so powerful and important. And the, mm-hmm. I've read it twice now in my entire life, and it was about eleven years apart. And both times, I closed the book and cried for a bit. Yeah. Um. Another Have one. Have you I'm read? Gonna, oh. oh, sorry. Have no, you read okay. the Ocean at the End of the yep. Lane? Yeah. That one I've heard it is. Um, the Graveyard Book is kind of similar in the yeah. kind of growing up. Yeah. Theme. Um, but not you know in a different way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely. found the ocean at the end of the lane extremely moving and yeah. it hit some really sensitive yeah. parts of my subconscious and my psyche for yeah. sure. It, they're definitely very different stories, but you know, the the rationale, the reasoning behind the the growing up and forgetting things and that's kind of a, a theme in a lot of these now that I think about it. Chronicles of Narnia, yeah. you know, the kids grow up and Susan no longer remembers Narnia. You know, yeah. she's she's moved on from it. And mm-hmm. and so I think um, Ocean at the End of the Lane is very much like that. I think mm-hmm. I think the Graveyard Book feels a lot more personal to me. Um, yeah, not I've sure heard why. that for sure. I've heard that. Um, yeah. Another one is um, Memories of Ice by Stephen Erickson. Um, it is the third book of the Malazan Book of the Fallen uh, mm-hmm. decology, I guess. Um, and I just, it floors me. There's some character deaths that are amazing. And one of them, well, I would say a couple of them are perfect character deaths. Mm -hmm. Like the arcs and everything are just amazing. And there's a scene where this group of people know they're going to their death. They know they're going to be killed. And one of them is like, why are we doing this? And he's, you know, the other one, the leader is like, well, because without our deaths, there is no crime for this other person to actually answer for. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this other character, this yet another character is going to be the instrument of our vengeance. And so the character who's questioning it, like kind of stands up straight and says, okay, my heart is at ease, sir. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just being able to say that, being able to say that in, in any way, shape or form has been really kind of powerful for me to be able yeah. to say, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm at ease with this. It's okay. Absolutely. That's powerful. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I've been like that for a long time, you know, like I, a lot of people are going to recognize this, you know, being able to walk up to that, that person you're wildly attracted to and really like, and ask that person, you know, to go out on a date or mm-hmm. to spend time with you. And, you know, at that point between the end of the question and their answer feels like an eternity. Mm-hmm. And yet every single time I've done it, I've been like, I'm okay. No matter what, what she mm-hmm. says, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And um, so this finally kind of put into words and expanded it. You know, before it was just that kind of circumstance. Now it's so many other things. Yeah. Yeah. Expanding on on things that we feel is yeah. absolutely something I've noticed in reading books with powerful internal journeys. Mm-hmm that you you see something that you've been through in a new light and in a new way and begin mm-hmm. to apply it into to other aspects of your life and you get a deeper understanding of yourself. Yeah. And you find 
a way to put into words something that you didn't even previously think about because you didn't know to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the most powerful things about fiction. And if we go back to the roots of fiction, you know, maybe imparting information to one another or explaining, trying to explain the the natural world in a way that makes sense to a group. That's really Mm -hmm. what it does. You know, if it expands your understanding of something, then it's changed you. Mm -hmm. Even if it turns out, you know, a few thousand years later that that understanding is completely and utterly false. (laughs) So Lisa Crone, her, I don't know if this is a a theory. I, I haven't read far enough to know if she has scientific evidence to back this um, claim up like she does the other ones that she makes but she claims that the internal struggle is the true story mm-hmm. and if it was just external struggle just plot just mm-hmm. pretty language we would not it would not work the people would inherently be able to say there's something off here and I am not connecting with this as a story. And I definitely agree with that. Um, Yeah. But there's this idea of the, the internal conflict being the true story. Yeah. Yeah. The, The story is never what happens. You know, that's not the interesting part. That's not the compelling part. The compelling part is how the characters emotionally react to what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And if the if the characters have to grow in order to do the thing, you know, mm-hmm. throw the magic identity bracelet into the locker of doom or whatever it happens to be, you can't you you know, if the character has to grow into that, that's really the interesting part. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of the big criticisms of speculative fiction. It's where we tend to be much lighter on that side and much heavier mm-hmm. on plot. Exactly. Um, and so that gets that can get really really tricky and yeah you know for me the stuff that i'm writing is you know probably heavier on plot than anything contemporary that we can think of but at the same time i'm trying to you know i'd i'd like to be able to lean into that because that's where the mm-hmm. interest is that's where that's where people will emotionally connect to your story to any story is yeah. about how people react to it or the characters yeah. react to it and I, yeah, I absolutely agree. Agree with it. I agree with Lisa Cron on that. And I'm sure there's people out there who would disagree, um, which is why I made the disclaimer that I don't know if there's evidence for it or not. But mm-hmm. um, it, I, it, at least for me, I, I need that in a story yeah. for sure. And I can definitely tell when it's not there. I think I have to bring up Pat Rothis because he does better than anyone in my opinion um contemporary of brandon sanderson does a good job too i shouldn't slight him but um but there's something about pat rothis and i think that's why he can get away with keeping a fan base for so many years without giving them any any new content because he has made the internal struggle so intricately connected Mm -hmm. to the external and to the plot Mm -hmm. and made it the center of the story you know not like pretending the plot is at the center of the story like a lot of um speculative can do 
sometimes. Um, it, the internal is truly the journey that we're going on. Yeah. I, but the plot is still really good. Yeah. And it still, still satisfies not, that. Yeah. I, I have not read the second book specifically because I don't want to be irritated that the third book isn't out yet. Yeah. So as long as it's out and I have access to it nominally or in my brain, then I'm like, okay, it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. I've heard first it's book, finished. It's finished. Yeah. Yeah. Is what I've heard. Yeah. So I think I was, I think I was one of the people who was talking with you about that. Yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure there was, there was issues of wanting to get everything translated perfectly to a bunch of other languages before it comes out. Um, I think this is one of the places where George R. R. Martin kind of falls flat with a song of ice and fire. Now I have Mm -hmm. to admit, I've not read the last book in that. I probably won't. Or the the most recent book in that I probably won't. Unless the the next book is amazing, because the second mm-hmm. to last book just was like, why did why did I read this? And mm-hmm. not because my favorite character wasn't in it or anything. It's just it's like he started losing the plot entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I often don't feel like the characters have emotional stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that even Steven Erickson does a a much better job with that. Um, there's an execution scene in in Memories of Ice. Um, that that is such a great contrast to the one in a game of thrones Mm -hmm. um where you know ned is ned stark or eddard is saying you know oh you know if you're going to execute somebody you have to do it yourself and um uh dujack one arm who's a fist he's a a general he's a high fist technically but he's a very 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 famous and an incredibly efficient effective general um you know has this conversation with another character whiskey jack and he's like look you know the reason we do things this way is specifically so you have emotional armor somebody Mm -hmm. orders the execution Mm -hmm. somebody else does it the person who orders it says he did it not me the person who does it says he ordered me to do it my hands are clean and they both have emotional armor from Mm -hmm. the act Mm -hmm. And so I think in a, in a lot of ways, um, unfortunately, George's take on it is very juvenile. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, oh, well, I'm, I'm Eddard Stark. I can handle it. It's no big deal, whatever. But we mm-hmm. never see any kind of a, an emotional that I remember. I mean, it's been years since I've read it, mm-hmm. uh, read that, since I've read Game of Thrones. But, you know, there's no emotional fallout for the character. Yeah. You know, yeah. whereas even even in uh, Memories of Ice, there is an emotional fallout that's incredible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I definitely have had chapters that were um, critiqued where I got feedback that said, you know, the other things I've read are so personal and and I really feel what's going on. But this I just didn't. Yeah. And, and something's off. And the the pattern that I discovered was the things that I was afraid to emotionally invest in myself mm-hmm. were the things that ended up falling flat. Mm-hmm. And when I said, no, I'm going to allow myself to cry. I'm going to allow myself to hurt mm-hmm. as I write this. Then it became that connecting beautiful thing that, that people responded to. Yeah. Yeah, it totally makes sense. One of the great American authors was like, 
if there's no emotion for the writer, there's no emotion for the reader. If there are no mm-hmm. surprises for the writer, there's no surprises for the reader. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who who said that. And it's I've heard that before, and I I can't remember yeah. who said it either. I, I may I, I definitely probably ended up paraphrasing that accidentally. So you know somebody out there is listening <laughs> to this. I get it. You know it was close. It was close enough. <laughs> um, I wanna I really want to talk about Star Wars because. Okay. Star Wars is is very plot heavy, yeah. right? Yeah. Um and it captured the world, you know, it captured so many hearts. And the other baffling thing about it is that the first movie wasn't even very well done. It, it very cheesy, not great writing, and and people I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, it's an older movie and it was cheesier. Um, like people at the time, like critics were very critical of it. And mm-hmm. I believe that a lot of the critics thought it was going to be a complete failure mm-hmm. and wouldn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And yet everyone just embraced it and adored it. I think and a lot my of question that... is why? Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of that, to be honest with you, comes from the the strength of the special effects. So as much as we think of them as cheesy mm-hmm. and stuff, they were groundbreaking in a lot of ways at the time. Oh, yeah. The special effects absolutely yeah. were at and, that time. Mm-hmm. And it was a space opera that we hadn't really seen. Yeah. And I think those two are what kind of got people into it. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. a military aspect. So it's in, in a very gentle way. It's like a military science fiction space opera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really wasn't until... Um, Rogue One that they they really leaned into that. Well, that's not true. They they leaned into it a lot in Clone Wars, the cartoon. So mm-hmm. some of the cartoons, but in movies, um, they really really leaned into it in Rogue One. Yeah, um, Empire Strikes Back to some extent, but not not as much. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, Empire, uh, not Empire, um, Rogue One is the one that got me the most emotional. Out of everything I've watched for Star Wars throughout my life, including the two Ewok movies, which are pure masterpieces and nobody will be able to convince me of others. I know. The Ewoks. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, Rogue One was just amazing. That part at the end, you know, where they're hugging when they're about to be destroyed and they know they're they're about to die. I mean, it's just amazing. And the fact that it showed how brutal that the Empire was. Like, oh, this guy who mm-hmm. invented this amazing thing. Yeah, we're fine with killing him too. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Incredible yeah. stuff. But Yeah, that, I, I love yeah. that you brought up the special effects because um, that's something with film that you can't really do the same way with a book that makes it realistic for people. Yeah. And, and it helps your brain yeah believe it more so you could probably get away with more in film than in a book with as yeah as long as things look like they're grounded in reality you know Mm -hmm. uh the special effects in star wars much like the special effects in star trek or battlestar galactica or anything else they all look like they're kind of possible you know Mm -hmm. the millennium falcon is like an old volkswagen beetle yeah. Maybe a Volkswagen Beetle bus that looks like it's falling apart, but it will run forever. <laughs> you know, you've got these things that make it feel kind of real. Mm-hmm. And it's those feelings that are the most important part. Oh, mm-hmm. well, you know, the, the script is cheesy. Who cares? People responded to it. 
well, mm-hmm. you know, this was badly done. Who cares? People responded to it exactly. because people felt something. Yeah. So going back to that idea of internal being the the true story mm-hmm. and applying that to Star Wars, mm-hmm. the the script and the language and the acting and all of that stuff just doesn't matter as much anymore mm-hmm. um, when the true story is the internal yeah. thing. And I think that with New Hope specifically, my theory is that what really captured people is, is Luke, Luke's character. Mm-hmm. And I think it can all be summed up in that moment where he's watching the double sunset and he's longing for something beyond the horizon. Mm-hmm. I think that's a moment just mm-hmm. so many people connected to. Yeah. And it became this, um, I mean, this legend scene, right? Yeah. And I think the reason for that is because it is emotional and it's an emotion that is very easy for a lot of people to connect to of this. There is something more out there Yeah. and watching the horizon, right? There's a lot of um, watching the horizon uh, emotion that's, utilized in all kinds of stories and yeah it's a very um emotionally charged image for us as humans yeah um a sunrise and a sunset they're very symbolic and i think you know my theory is that it worked because of those strong images and those strong that strong symbolism yeah. And well, the idea of the force. Yeah. You know, the force is very religious. And, and, and Obi-Wan telling him, use the force, you know, mm-hmm. when he's when he's flying down the trench. You know, yeah. turn off your guidance system, use the force, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You know, they're very archetypal or iconic. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't not entirely sure which of those is the right word, or even if it's something else entirely, but they feel like something anybody could experience. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's something we've seen before, like the, and there's only so many internal journeys you can go on. Yeah. Um, But seeing it in that, like you said, in this space opera that nothing had really done in the same way before and these new special effects, it creates a new experience for those feelings to be explored in. So even though their feelings and, and an internal journey that's been used for like probably since the beginning of time, you know, um, it still connects because of the way that it's executed. Right. And done in this, in this newer way and a new experience for us yeah i don't think humans will ever tire of experiencing essentially the same things over and over and over again in new ways yeah yeah i mean when we talk about it you know how many how many actual plots are there you know not many yeah (laughs) and so we're we're rehashing the same things we're remixing Mm -hmm. it over and over and over and over again and you know, yeah. sometimes we sample other things into it that have never been done before. We we do some of these things. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and and the success of Star Wars storytelling is really that it it taps into that kind of primal I want mm-hmm. I want adventure. I want to go on an adventure. I want to live a life of adventure. I don't want to live a life of mundanity. Yeah. yeah. So Absolutely. Yeah. And I I think Luke's journey too of going from this like whiny teenage boy to this wise um experienced person I mean, in, in three movies, he makes this yeah. amazing character journey and his arc is something I think especially men have connected to, not that women can't connect to that, but I think it's, you know, a lot of times boys are a little bit behind in their brain development. <laughs> and yes. so as teenagers, they can you know, be that sort of whiny and angsty and, um, and, and then there's a growing up that happens. And I think that that growing up was very relatable. Yeah. That Luke went through. And, and, but we saw two other really pretty great character arcs as well. We saw Leia becoming, Mm -hmm. you know, more and more of a general kind of character, a leader, a Mm -hmm. real, real leader, an effective one. Like in the first movie, we know she's pretty badass. But mm-hmm. as we go through, it turns out she's she's a really competent leader as well. Um, yeah. Han Solo goes from, nope, it's all about me, to I'm going to be there for my friends, even in the first movie. So even the mm-hmm. first movie, there there was some really neat growth there. You see this rogue, this this guy, he's a scalawag. He's, you know, he's mm-hmm. not ever going to do anything for anybody else. And then he comes back to his friends knowing that it's a death sentence potentially for yeah. him. And yeah. so I think we really kind of connect to all three of those characters in that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, something that people have been really into lately, and I have a theory that Star Wars has something to do with this because we got a backwards character arc with Darth Vader and we, mm-hmm. we see what he became how he became a villain and then we get his origin story mm-hmm. in the first three movies mm-hmm. um which i know wasn't that wasn't the purpose of doing it that way that it was because george lucas knew there were special effects that he needed for the first three movies that mm-hmm. didn't wasn't possible yet um yeah but it it created a very cool um effect with darth vader's character because we watch his development in the first three and know what's coming, know yeah. where he's ending up. Yeah. And that's a very interesting thing. And I and now people are so interested in villain origin stories yeah. of seeing them develop, knowing where it's going and how they're going to end up at the end. Yeah. Even- and I find that fascinating. Even beyond just the movies, you know, Clone Wars, the cartoon really does a great job of showing the the incremental, the little at a time, mm-hmm. why he kind of starts going down that path. Yeah. Um, and and really when, you know, it's it's the rise, fall and redemption of a character. It's it's the very classic in the Western world. We might call that the Arthurian cycle, you know. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the tales of King Arthur, the rise, fall and redemption of King Arthur. Um, and a couple of his knights as well. I mean, kind mm-hmm. of mirrored in them. So we, we get to see that, that very classic kind of thing happening with Darth Vader. 
Um, and yeah, you know, little Annie turning into this guy mm-hmm. who destroys everything in his path is just, is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think something else that really makes it that much more powerful is that we already know that Darth Vader has a redemption moment at the yeah. very end. Yeah. And so when we see Anakin going through this journey, we not only see the evil place that he gets to and the dark place he gets to, but we also see that Anakin never really was gone. That yeah. he was still there. Yeah. Because we know at the end there is yeah. that moment. Yeah. Which yeah. makes it that much more compelling. Yeah. And that much more relatable too, I think. Because I think we all go through dark periods where we oh, truly yeah. loathe ourselves and we don't like any of the decisions that we're making and we feel like the villain in our own stories. Yeah. And knowing that our true selves is still in there and can be redeemed is powerful stuff. Yeah. Well, another story that does that amazingly well, in fact, I think somewhat better is uh, Breaking Bad. You know, mm, this guy for I the right reason. Yeah. Oh, I, so it's all I about know I guy. need to. <laughs> uh, well, like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's about meth. No, you know, meth's the background. That's like saying Star Wars is about mm. spaceships. No, that's, that's just the background. <laughs> Um, it's about a guy who makes a bad decision and then keeps doubling down on it until he's a terrible, Mm -hmm. terrible human being. And he kind of redeems himself at the end. Mm -hmm. And, but it's, it's amazingly well acted and it's Mm -hmm. incredibly written. Like it's just jaw dropping. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think those kinds of stories are fairly timeless. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's the root of our fascination with these villain origin stories, because we don't want to just explore the heroic sides of ourselves, you know, kind of going back to the, the grim, dark conversation we had. We also want to be able to explore those darker parts of ourselves. I think we also get that with villains. I think we also want to know that even we can be redeemed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's all hope is the key, right? Yeah. I mean, if it was, if there was no hope, then yeah. it would just depress us and make us feel worse about ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the hope is is absolutely key, and that's something that um, I think when some people feel like dark fiction gets to the too dark of a place might be at that point where there's not enough hope balancing out the horror and all the horrible things that are happening. And maybe that's where some of that comes from. Yeah. I can understand that. I mean, we definitely, as humans, we want things that are going to be optimistic Mm because we want to be able to hold on to our own optimism, you know, about things in our own lives. So things are going to work out well over the long term. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes we just need to keep in mind that dark rough stuff happens everybody goes through Mm -hmm. a rough patch you know societies go through rough spots we look around the world today and we're like why is why are some of these terrible things happening Mm -hmm. but hopefully you know in time we're going to see that this was a an amazing time for growth um you know for human 
capacity to to love gets expanded and mm-hmm. our capacity to 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 take care of each other gets expanded quite a bit mm-hmm. and there are some villain origin stories where the villain doesn't have redemption at the end yeah and i think something that does for us is in the same idea of reading and and consuming war stories um, without actually having to go to war. I think that villain stories show us the possibility of true evil without us having to go down that path ourselves. And to maybe learn as we're exploring that story that we would have responded differently and we would have gone on the path of redemption and sure. not the path of total utter darkness. Yeah. I think that makes total sense. You know, we want to be able to say, I, I would have done better. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, probably not, but we can <laughs> But you can, you know, at least, um, you know, experience it and, and determine yeah. the kind of person that you are. And, and if you do find that you tend to go in those darker on those darker paths, then you can do something about it before you actually in real life go down those dark paths. I I think an example for me would be, you know, as a kid, I read some pretty dark stuff at a very early age. Um, I remember shocking my elementary school teacher when I brought a, Lord of the Flies to silent reading, which is normally read in, you know, the ninth grade, so high school or middle school. And she was like, not very um, thrilled. (laughs) Um, I think that there was some concern there that I was that young and reading it. Um, And, you know, there was like a kind of what the fuck did I just read at the end? And my brother had recommended to it. So I like to tease him and I haven't let him live down the fact that he recommended that book to his um, young sister. I think I would have been like nine, maybe or 10. I recommended that book to his nine or 10 year old sister. Um, In his defense, he was playing Xbox when I asked him about it. So he was like, (laughs) yeah, it's good. (laughs) Distractedly. Yeah, it's a good book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you know, reading that, I was in a dark place in my life when I read that, a really dark place. And while it wasn't necessarily comparable to the events of that book, it did show me what can happen when people give in to their fears yeah. and to their dark, their darkness. Yeah. And I, I think it was actually good for me in the end to indulge that reading of dark things um the lord of the flies just being one example of some of the darker things that i was reading at the time um and it you know i at that time in my life i was very silent about the dark places that i went Mm -hmm. to um but then when i got to a similar dark place a couple of years later, I 
had the confidence and the courage to tell my parents what was going on and they were able to get me help. Um, Mm. I don't like to think about what would have happened to me if I hadn't gotten help at that point. Um, but I, I saw, you know, I, I explored the idea of if I indulged that darkness and, Mm -hmm. and let myself sit in it and stay there. Yeah. And I didn't like that. Yeah. I didn't like how that felt. Yeah. I, I love the fact that through fiction, we can experience so many things, mm-hmm. you know, and we can learn so, so, so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit about this with the darkening of fiction and with mental health. But I think it's cathartic, too. Mm-hmm. And you read about journeys that you have been through, and maybe you don't necessarily learn something new because it's something that you already experienced. But then you have an opportunity to process it in a in a safe space. Um, and that, you know, can change how you heal. Yeah. okay we got serious on this one everybody we did should we try and and end it on a a lighter note maybe um like let's talk about fan fiction (laughs) just really briefly for a couple minutes one of the things that I would actually like to talk about, um, and probably in the future, is role playing games as yeah, shared that's as on shared my list storytelling. Too. You know, yeah. there that's that's what I love about them is their shared storytelling. And I did this big LARP, this amazing LARP mm-hmm. event a few weekends ago that was just incredible. And there was this story being woven in at the time and even though I'd injured my ankle quite a bit, I was still able to run around and do little things that kept me that kept me busy and mm-hmm. having a lot of fun. So yeah, fiction comes in all kinds of shapes and mm-hmm. sometimes we create it together. Other times we experience it because somebody else created it for, uh, for other people to read. Yeah. And I, the idea of fan fiction and role play mm-hmm. is taking these worlds and extending them and taking yeah. control of the story yourself and inserting yourself into it quite literally, even more literally than you are when you're, when you're reading or watching. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's another level that we as humans take this experiencing of other worlds. Yeah. And I think that again, it's so, so much more prevalent in fantasy and sci-fi because there's something about processing things and experiencing these journeys in another setting and yeah. and learning yeah how that you know changes your perspective yeah it again it, it feels safer yeah even if you're dealing with a lot of the same things now you mm-hmm. know good fiction um should warn people that it can be disturbing you know Mm -hmm. um and but you know it's it's still much safer 
for most people to experience it that way than, than in yeah. the real world, you know? Yeah. So. Safer and, you know, going back to the, the very, um, the, the tropes used in Star Wars that worked because it was in, in a new and exciting way. Um, you know, the fantasy and sci-fi worlds are new and exciting. And I think that there's something to that experiencing real life shit in and a format that fills you with excitement and adventure and makes you enthusiastic Mm -hmm. for exploring those experiences when sometimes life can beat you down and make it hard to be enthusiastic about your own real personal adventures yeah fiction has helped so many people very directly and Mm -hmm. um, it's I mean, it's powerful. We've talked about it for the last, you know, episode and now. I mean, two mm-hmm. episodes, we've talked about how incredibly powerful it can be. And yeah, it's, it is. And, and hopefully that's a good positive force for most people. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is our time. We've been your hosts, Ludlow Adams. And J.S. Garrity. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next week with a new topic about the world of fiction. This has been We're Lying, But That's Okay. Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible.